One, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four. Yes, now do play. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all around good people. It is week 21 of 2022. I'm Chris Louie, and glad I made it out of that escape room I did yesterday with the rest of my team. With me, I have my co-host, The Hot Dad, who just admitted to committing a crime on his LinkedIn page. I don't know if necessarily know if it was a crime, but there was something stolen. I would say that a crime took place. Can I get arrested? Are they going to come after me? Probably not. Digital, the digital police are coming after you this afternoon. The freaking fun police, maybe, but that's about <laughs> it. I mean, when you spend like $23 for hamburger and fries, I'm taking that Diet Coke, baby. Well, 10 points will be deducted from your social credit score. And we have Glenn Medina, who, to the best of my knowledge, has not written any of his confessions on his LinkedIn page. He is jet setting again. Where are you broadcasting from this week? Everyone, uh, thanks to you. Thanks, uh, Chris. I'm coming to you from lovely Boise, Idaho this week. Um, happy to be back. And uh, no, I don't think I've ever been stolen anything or admitted to anything on LinkedIn, but I did get a ban from Facebook Marketplace this last week, and I, I made a couple posts selling some tires, and I got banned, and I still haven't to this day told me why I got banned. So Banned from Facebook, banned from Twitter. I know. What the heck? Maybe there's <laughs> another Glenn Medina doing nefarious stuff out there. Could be. Probably. It's Could a mistaken be. identity. It's Glenn Medina that's doing that. Freaking Glenn Medina. <laughs> he probably drives a Tesla. Sullying your good name. That's it. Well, this week we are very excited to have the Hebrew hammer himself, Guy Marone. Longtime listener, first time caller. Now, Guy, your legend precedes you. Would you like to introduce yourself? I don't know about that, but sure, I'm the Z guy, I guess. Not the German version, the Israeli version. And great pleasure to be here. I've been following you guys since forever. And I'm out of California, even though I have an Israeli accent. Been here for about 20 plus years almost. So thanks for hosting me. Is it? At what point do you not consider yourself Israeli and you just say, hey, yeah, never. you know what? I'm American. Never. <laughs> never. First off, I don't have a passport. So that's a never. Uh, and second of all, even if I had one, because my kids do, it, I think it's a it's a question for a different time, but you got to realize that Israelis define themselves as Israelis first and foremost. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter where they are. They're always going to be Israelis. My kids may define themselves as American. I will always define myself as Israeli. I will always define myself as a Coke drinker. <laughs> Coca-Cola, See? right? Yeah. Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola, baby. Coca-Cola and rock star. Hey, actually, I have a question. Guy, did you hire all three of us? Is that is that factual? It is factual. Wow. Yeah, wow. That is correct. Your interview yeah. was still the hardest. I still have to say that, that your interview was still the hardest one. You're the only one that called me out and called me Baby Bird. Nobody <laughs> else called me out and called me Baby Bird. Wait, there's a backstory to Baby Bird. We got to hear this now. Well, go ahead and give him your perspective. No, man. You, I want to hear your view. Okay, so I think it was an SNL skit back in the day where they there was a I have no idea what's going on but they had to feed the kid and so they uh the kid won't shut up cuz this keeps squawking right and so they chew up the food and spit the he's like I'll baby bird you I'll spit the food into your mouth 
right? And so during our panel interview, guy kept on like trying to take me down these rat holes left and right. And I said, just, I said, hang on, baby bird, I'll feed you. And then like the, the look <laughs> on everyone's face was like, what the hell did you just say? That is when I knew that I want to work with Brian because he's going to be an amazing technologist to work with regardless of whatever this ends up. So that to me was the sign and like I'm getting him. Actually, you just reminded me, Glenn, I never hired Chris. Yeah, I, I was, was going to issue there. a correction. Yeah, yeah I was thinking yeah. that Leo hired me, but I worked for Guy. Leo left us shortly after I joined and then Guy came on. For the record, though, I do remember our first call with Chris because I brought him to the office and I said, Chris, we're going to go into this room and you and I are going to talk. So I did have a call with him and I still remember that meeting in the office. But no, I did not hire Chris. But the rest of you, yes. Well, we've all directly reported to you then, I think. That is true. Yes. That is a fair statement. By the way, you freaked me out during the interview because when we were done, you're like, hey, come downstairs, let's talk. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. He's like, you want a beer? I'm like, oh, this is a test. No, I don't want a beer. <laughs> and he grabs a beer and sits down with me. I'm like, what the hell's going on right here? <laughs> well, this is episode two in what we're calling the Founders Series. Guy and Ron, along with Bill Lapp, built the foundation of the SE organization here at Zscaler. Guy actually helped us get off the ground after listening to the first few episodes of the podcast and gave us suggestions to improve the show. So thank you, Guy. Combined, we have combined, we have decades of information security experience and here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic, we have our guest Guy, who is originally from Israel, if you couldn't tell. During your hiring panel interview, you gave us a crazy statistic that more cybersecurity startups come out of Israel than any other country on earth. Now, while researching the topic, I read that during your compulsory military service in Israel, you're given a test to figure out which students are Rosh Katan which, and which are Rosh Gadal, which are roughly translate to Little Head and Big Head. Those who are Rosh Katan or Little Head will do only what's asked of them and sometimes even less than that. They are obedient and good at following direct orders, kind of like how we want our students in schools to do in the U.S. Learn the subject, take the test, don't challenge authority and get a passing grade. But Israel is very interested in students who exhibit Rosh Gadal or Big Head. People who have this often do more than what's asked of them, finishing their work and then doing extra credit or help others finish their work or volunteer to do more work. They often challenge the status quo and are trying to rethink new ways to do it. So am I on track with this? What is unique about Israel that creates so many cybersecurity startups? I think you just called it out. So first off, uh, those definitions are pretty accurate. Your pronunciation could use improvement, but the, <laughs> the definitions are pretty accurate. Um, it, it's, it goes back to what you guys said at the beginning. This is why we define ourselves as Israelis first and foremost, because we are taught from almost earlier age that, you know, there's a wall, there's a fence, and then there's under, above, through, or find other ways to solve a problem and it manifests itself from days of school but goes well into the army and our army is a basically a culture phenomenon where we get young guys very early on some of them are actually identified early at school during their um, senior year 
and they're being brought into special units whose job is to fi fixate themselves on how do I get things done in limited resources? How do I build systems that can uncover things I don't know? And one of the things that I learned in the US early coming in is you have this thing called privacy. We have by default an assumption that privacy is not ours to take, it's not ours to own, it's not ours to have. The government always listens in. And it's something that you get trained from very early age and it manifests itself greatly in the army. So you're asking why is Israel is a great place for startups? Because from early age and especially during the army service, you get taught that there's other ways and the definition of the rule is meant to be broken and there's always another way to find an angle. There's always another way to get from point A to point B. I think it's kind of what causes a lot of us to go into startup mode. I do want to caution us with one thing. Israelis are very chaotic and most of our startups end when the company reaches about 1,500 employees. We don't know how to put structure together and that's what's really amazing about large companies in the States. It's the exact opposite. So I wanted to contrast that. So Glenn has military experience in the U.S. Army. Would you classify them as those that need to follow orders? Like if, if I tell you to charge up this hill, you know, you'll blindly go up there. You know, or other, other people would ask, well, what's over there? Why should I go? Like how, is, how do you contrast that with your service in the U.S. Army? So I, I think for us, there's no, there's no psychology on the background. Maybe there is. But in the U.S. Army or in, in the Army, in the Army that I served in, it was basically break you down and make you follow orders. So if you had an A-type personality, you will fall in line. You will dress the same way as the rest of the 59 people that are inside your, 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 your squad. And you will all walk and march the same way. Um, now, leaders do float up, uh, um, you know, kind of indirectly. But from a standpoint, they want everybody to follow orders and, and abide by them, right? So, Don't maybe. get me wrong. We do the same thing. Like boot camp for the first six months is all about let's break you and even it out. I think it's mm -hmm. a huge equalizer in Israel. It's one of the only reasons I may consider to send my girls to Israel. It's an equalizer. It basically gets everyone of a certain age to almost be equal regardless of what their background is and what school they went to. But soon right after, you go into the regiment and then you go into the actual army. And it's that's when you start learning how to develop yourself as an adult. And you see differences between, say, Americans and Israelis or Israelis and European very early on at the age of 21 all the way through 25 israelis are just way more mature because they it's, it's almost the same as sending an american overseas while in service into a hot territory we just live in a country that we constantly have people going at us from all direction it's just a thing you get used to yeah i can't even send my my 25 year old daughter outside to play anymore because it's just too dangerous <laughs> guy's laughing he's like oh that's cute <laughs> well i mean I, i'm talking you know because i i'm at a, at a new start at a startup now and it, you know it's israeli based um where the engineers are and they're they've all talked about how they've done their 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 trip after their military service and i couldn't see myself at 23 24 25 i did i i traveled the world right but 
uh, I couldn't see myself going to like South America like Guy did. I mean, I've heard some of Guy's stories where I took the $10,000 that I had and I left and I, I partied out for the next year. And I'm like, how do you yeah. do that? That's just amazing. That is very, very amazing. That's culturally, that's not something that, you know, we do here in the U.S. You have to decompress after such a long service. You guys got to remember that we also serve a lot after. So, you know, the actual military is just interesting, but the actual military starts for you when you finish the army, you delist, and then you start joining reserve duty. So all of us that are officers get to serve about 45 days a year. And that's, think of yourself at university doing your double E. And for a month and a half, they say, that's awesome. Now go back to Occupy Territory, Gaza, wherever, whatever your service was, and now practice like a soldier. And oh, by the way, if you're an officer, your soldiers are twice your age because most of them are 40, 38, 35. We, we finish reserve duties when we're 48. That's, that's a lot of different environment you have to deal with because it's one thing to convince a 18-year-old to go charge a hill. Good luck doing that to a 40-year-old that has a family that works in the diamond business. It's a different conversation that you have to get used to. So again, cyber is huge in Israel just because perfect country for that. Uh, telecommunication is pretty strong in the country. Uh, everyone's looking for ways out of it. Privacy is not a thing. And we always have to find a way to understand what the rest of our neighbors are thinking about us. That's where it starts. And that's kind of where it's going. And that's why it's ingrained into the culture. So, uh, you know, with all of your abroadness, you still ended up in America, baby. So there must be something we, we must be doing something right. Absolutely. <laughs> do, you, do you enjoy your perceived uh, notion of privacy nowadays? I don't care about the privacy as much. I mean, you guys know me. I'm a hugger. So, no, I don't enjoy privacy. I mean, when I go to the elevator, I, I'm in the middle where all of you guys go to the four corners of the elevator. I sit in the middle for two reasons. One, so that I can smell the other people coming in. And two, when the doors open, I want to rush out first. Wait, so you, so, so you can smell the other people coming in? What is that about? I don't know, he wants man. to it's, smell it's, fear. He can smell fear. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. But... Uh, I, I don't care for the privacy, but I care for the orderness and I care for the fact that everything is pretty set and clear here in the U.S. In Israel, it's slightly different. It's not totally chaotic. There's a logic for the chaos, but it's way more chaotic for anyone that comes out of Israel. I mean, I remember Chris keeps saying to me every time that we meet and he hears me and my friends speak Hebrew, like, why are you guys screaming and angry? We're not angry. That's just the way we express ourselves. <laughs> he just hyped up. <laughs> yeah, so very I, enthusiastic. I do think that uh, something maybe got lost in translation here. So I definitely know that in in America, Rosh Katana actually leads Rosh Gadel, right? The little head influences the big head. Are you guys smelling what I'm cooking here? <laughs> Glenn got it finally. Da, da, da. I, was that the dad joke there? What's going on here? <laughs> For our first topic, on the note of Israeli cybersecurity companies, one sector that's struggling in Israel right now is the exporting of spy tools. Companies like the NSO Group are getting absolutely crushed by recently implemented export controls for spy and surveillance tools like Pegasus. Recent public pressure due to poor publicity on spy tools like Pegasus being used against political dissidents, 
journalists, and even the Prime Minister of Spain has now forced Israel to restrict the export of spy tools from what used to be over 100 countries, now down to just 30 countries. If you can't sell your spy tools to oppressive governments, even for purported lawful surveillance reasons, that's definitely going to hurt your bottom line. My prediction is that companies like NSO, NSO Group, they're just going to close up shop in Israel and reincorporate in a more friendly country and then just hire all their old staff. Spy tools, like malware, is a game of whack-a-mole. There's just too much demand for these surveillance tools for them to shut down for good. I mean, these tools are kind of edgy to begin with. Is it is that the whole notion that the government is always listening is how this is actually enforced? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with your prediction, Chris, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, this has just made the news. These organizations have been around forever. Um, there is the upper current, which is what we see in the news, and there's the undercurrent, what's really happening. Um, this kind of technology, these kinds of companies will continue to exist in Israel, whether they rebrand themselves and call themselves something else. I don't see the export of intelligence, listening, toolkits to help you listen and try to hack other systems, anything from nuclear uh, uh, engines all the way through cars is ever, ever going to go away. I think Israel is probably the number one country for exporting it. And yeah, there might be put some regulations there, but like I said, if there's a wall, we'll find a way around it. I don't see companies like these close shop anytime soon. They may rebrand, they may work a bit about their branding, but I just don't see that ever happening. The country relies on them too much, even for internal purposes. There's the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, and then what really happens in, in real Thank life, you, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> Thank you, so. Glenn. <laughs> it's like like that movie, Lord of War. It says, well, yeah, I'm an arms dealer, but you know, governments need me. Like You're not going to be able to hold me in jail because you know, the governments have to yeah. distance themselves. They need a middleman, and I act as that middleman, even if I act illegally. Yeah. You know, crazy story that I haven't thought about for a while. Some of my best friends became gun lords and in Israel. Why? It was easy. We have the language, we have guns, we know how to export guns, we know how to sell guns, we know how to handle guns. Some of my best friends from school went into that. It was very easy for them because their parents served in different roles in the army, so they understood the process of how to sell to other arms and other armies. It's just a matter of making it international. So again, NSO, I don't believe that NSO is going to go away. might be repurposed, they might work on their brand a bit, but they might change their name into Meta. I don't know. Meta working out. Meta NSO. Yeah. I think the uh, OSN. The, the the best quote ever out of Lord of War was the was like there's over 550 million firearms worldwide in circulation. That's one firearm for every like one in twelve people. The only question is how do we arm the other eleven? You yeah. remember that? Yeah. Is that your yeah. friend? Yeah. It's, it's not it's not but i do remember being very envious of him because when i was trying to you know get my first two dollars to buy my you know home theater system he already had his entire house completely racked and wired and i'm like what'd you do that from oh yeah i'm selling arms where are you i'm everywhere and he just kept flying so not my friend but some of my friends probably are in that business still can you connect well, us that's, on linkedin that's <laughs> look him up that, on linkedin that's kind of funny that's kind of funny right guy because when i was a customer i i thought i was pretty cool 
and then I met you know an SE my SE back then his name was Jimmy Johnson at Blue Coat and, football you know, player. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. He's a he's a guy. That, I think he worked for F five for a little bit too. But Blue Coat went to F five, and he's I think he's at Cyber Reason now. But he, he showed up in a, in a brand new like Cadillac CTS V V V whatever. And I was like, "What do you do?" And he goes, "He goes, yeah, you know that that four million dollar deal that you know I that you, you know that you bought and I sold you." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah, this was the commission check for that." I'm like, "Bastard, I'm in the wrong job." <laughs> so, You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm in the wrong job. Maybe I need to go do uh, what what uh, what guy's friend does. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. All I know is if I was Israeli, I'd get like a group of dudes together. Our soul going life. Figure out what is the uh, the ingredients to KFC's chicken. Thirteen <laughs> herbs and spices. Yeah, that's the what you need things. NSO for. That's what you need NSO for. Just put Pegasus on, you know, the the KFC executives' phones. Track down the two factories Ooh. that make it. Like there you go. I would be Look, eating good. Great, crazy topic. You guys are realizing that KFC is the only national brand that lives outside of the U.S. Everywhere. Like I think they're more profoundly found anywhere and everywhere in Asia, more so than McDonald's. I went to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. They have KFC there. Vietnam has KFC there. Not to find a McDonald's anywhere, but KFC is everywhere. I would have that put my true. money on Mickey D's, but I'm glad to hear yeah, that it's not uh, them. It's no. yeah. Yeah, Colonel Sanders young brands. delivering young brands owns what, what they call Ken Taco Hut. K- Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. They're all under yeah. the young brand umbrella and yeah, when I traveled in Southeast Asia, uh, KFC was everywhere. One one cultural difference I did notice when I was in uh, Macau for KFC: when you eat chicken there, they give you a glove because, like, when you when they're you clean. Eat, yeah, when you eat chicken here, they just hand you the bucket and say, "Here you go, lick your fingers." <laughs> and then in in Southeast Asia, they give you a glove, and it was wild for me to see all these people like business suits and dresses and eating KFC, and they have this glove. I get behind that, but the whole idea. But the whole idea, you're wearing a business suit in KFC. That's like their fine dining. <laughs> yeah. No shame in that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, if it's at an airport, right, you might be dressed up. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to take it down the rabbit hole of KFC International, but... That's <laughs> all we do on there. this show. That's all it's we just, do. We went there. Rabbit holes yeah, left only, and right. Yeah, it's only Brian that derails us. Uh, excuse me? You're not it's my... It's kind of like your interview panels, guy. That's all we do is rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for our second topic, on the note of malware residing on iPhones, a team of German academics out of the, I think it was out of the NCC group, they published a paper last week where they documented how attackers could load malware onto a Bluetooth chip and execute it while the iPhone is turned, quote, off. The attack is possible because Apple leaves the iPhone's Bluetooth, NFC, and ultra-wideband chips running even when iOS is turned off. It's actually what put in what they call a low power mode. This is particularly interesting to me because I never knew that an iPhone is actually never turned off. The iPhone acts like your living room TV where it sits in a low power state waiting to be fully turned on. But it also makes sense now because that after you update to iOS 15, when you power your iPhone off or what you think is powering off your phone, there's a little warning message at the top that says, the Find My iPhone feature will remain on even when the power is off. Normally, most off-the-shelf iPhone malware will get wiped off during a reboot because the iPhone uses a secure boot with a hardware chain of trust that starts in the phone's secure enclave. 
only a known good and digitally signed bootloader can be used on an iPhone, so no malware can reside there. Now, the four of us on this call, realistically, we don't have to worry about this being an issue, but if you're a journalist, political dissident, someone that's going to be targeted, this news can be quite concerning. The only mitigation the academics offer is to have a physical hardware switch on the phone to disconnect the battery and fully turn those communication chips off. So I want to tell you that that's not news to me. And this is the main reason why in the U.S. government go back probably about five to six years. No, more. Maybe more like 10 years. You could only use BlackBerry. And the reason was you could actually take off the battery. I remember going into a show in an Israeli startup company whose name I'm not going to say right now showed me how phones was off. Battery was in. They even took the battery out and took it back in. They were able to turn on the microphone, the camera, without the user ever knowing and no indication on the display. So this isn't you. This is something that always existed. I think that we came a long way where now the U.S. government and other governments are allowing their employees to use an iPhone. I think they don't have a choice because of its smartness. But if you noticed, anytime you go into a secure space, no matter where you are, government, army, or whatnot, you put your phone somewhere else and you can't walk in. In the Israeli embassy today, when you go in and you want to renew your passport, your phone stays on the outside. In a secure lock, they won't let you in to the embassy with the phone. Yeah, usually you have to go in a skiff and then, yeah, no no communications in or out. Have you guys heard of like the uh, Librem 5 phone? It actually has physical switches on the device that can turn off GPS and Bluetooth and all that good stuff. No, it's a, let me guess. It uh, runs Android, or no? I think it's a <laughs> is Linux it a, version. Bastardized. Is it a big yeah. brick? Is it a big brick too? That's got toggle switches inside. <laughs> the Zach Morris phone. So it used Does to it look like, like a computer. Yeah. It used to, right? It was pretty nasty, but uh, it's gotten better. But didn't they also have? Uh, well, the first iteration of those things had like dip switches. You take off the cover, and you have a ditch, dip switch turn off like the modem and microphone, camera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, wasn't there evidence that the, the SIM cards had like its own processor running on there as well? There could be... That I don't know. That I don't know. But if you figure out where we're going, right? I mean, Apple wants to remove the SIM card altogether. They're talking about even getting brands of the phone with eSIM card. Yeah. It's going to be all wow. eSIM now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A, a SIM card is basically a smart card. So anything a smart card can do. Yeah. But look, guys, if you really want to save yourself from having anyone be able to hack into you, one of two options. Take it out, put it in a box, and shove it somewhere, or don't use it. Um, don't use it is not applicable, because I think the same thing that you just said on the phone would also be applicable to a watch. Wouldn't the iWatch be exactly the same problem? Yep, pretty much anything smart, anything internet-connected. Right, the iWatch 7 now has built-in GPS and a built-in eSIM card, so it's effectively a phone. Yeah, uh, go, yeah. I mean, you can go down to the iWatch 4. It has a SIM card in it, right? So the original ones did too, so. Yeah, I think starting with the 4, that's when they got the GPS. Yes, they can trace you, they track you, turn on your mic. Love that thing. It's got fall protection. It can tell, it can tell me if my dad <laughs> fell down. Not fall protection, <laughs> fall yeah. detection. The fall detection. The giant airbag gets deployed. Yeah. <laughs> So I, you know what, if anybody's sitting there listening to me 
They bite me hand. Freaking Deech just watches a lot of Cheers reruns and calls his remote a <laughs> You know, and they're going to be not too much compelling information on here from coming from the old Deech household. It's a lot of swearing. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to start just showering with the phone in another room. Might be a good. Yes. You don't, want, you don't want anyone to screen grab you or turn on the camera. Or, yeah, like, Lord knows. Man, it's pretty, it's sure pretty is crazy today. when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it, right? It's super crazy that, you know... There's companies out there that don't require too much. They don't even need to touch your phone and they can magically turn it on and spy on you without you knowing. So forget the amount of Google, Amazon, and Apple devices that I have surrounding me that are listening to me because I see my Amazon you know, suggestion keep changing based on what I'm saying. <laughs> Turning on my stuff when I intensively turn it off and hope that it doesn't listen that's kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I said earlier. I always live under the assumption that someone else is listening. I just stop caring. I don't care about my privacy, per se. It's not what defines me. Acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. You're part of the problem, guy. That's all I, I know. say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I realize. thought that was part of the Israeli culture, was your challenge authority. Yeah. Like, this one day, they'll be like, all right, let's just go out and find every Israeli guy that's ever said something negative and just tax him just a little extra, then they'll start caring. That's already happening now, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. Look, we, we, my wife and I at some point were scared to say stuff on the phone because like, oh, they must be listening to us. The FBI is spying on us because we were from it. Yeah, we just, we, we stopped. I mean, 2019 years ago, I think we just gave up. I'll tell you what, if I knew I was being spied on, Oh, I'd have a field day. I'd be like, I just, yeah, I'd call it Chris. So much fun with that. The wet duck flies at midnight. Click. That's it. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> How is that different than what you do now, hot yeah. dad? <laughs> <laughs> leave cryptic messages in our group chats. I do that already? Oh, yes. Man. I didn't know that. <laughs> For our third story, we have not done a ransomware of the week story in a while. So here's an interesting one that involves political insurrection in a country we all love. Rodrigo Chavez is Costa Rica's newly elected president and one of his first acts as their new president, he declared a state of national emergency in light of a ransomware attack that hit their government systems three weeks ago. The attack crippled the networks of the Ministry of Finance, which is their version of our IRS that collects taxes, the Ministry of Work and Social Security, and the Ministry of Science, Innovation, Technology, and Telecommunications. For many days, the attack caused prolonged outages of government systems and web-facing platforms. The highest impact was against the Ministry of Finance, which was unable to collect taxes and other payments while they were down. The attack hit Costa Rica right in the middle of its presidential transition. If you want to destabilize a country, a transition of power is the perfect opportunity. However, despite the incident's impact, the government refused to give into the demands made by the Conti ransomware gang, which has requested payment of 10 million US dollars to provide the decryption key. Instead, the Costa Rican government went the other direction and passed a decree mandating that all government agencies patch their computer systems, change their passwords, disable unnecessary ports, monitor their network infrastructure, and report any security incidents to the local CERT team, basically. Everything they should have done years ago, but better late than never. After the Costa Rican government declined to pay the ransom, the Conti group got 
pretty upset and posted a message on their leak site uh, urging citizens to organize rallies so that they could pay us as soon as possible and even suggested that Costa Ricans overthrow their government. So Conti is now in the insurrection business. Well, let's just call this business as usual. I think this is going to be yeah. the normal thing from here on out. But side note, like I'm glad that they want to like, you know, monitor network infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. But I guarantee you they're paying the dude or girl minimum wage, which this person is not going to care. They're going to be sit there and watch YouTube cat videos all day long. I agree. I mean, I think they passed the decree. So what? I mean, it's, dude, it's everything you just read. It just sounds like, yeah, so do your job. Cool. I'll do my job. I'll patch it at some point. I'll update it at some point. I think a problem right now is, and I know, and I think I even heard you guys on a previous podcast talking about it. Yes, I need the systems to update themselves. I think I remember Brian Deach talking about it and he didn't like it. He didn't like the system to auto-update themselves because of the risk associated with that. But have we not reached a point that asking IT executives and IT leaders to go and patch everything, mandate this, that, or the other thing, doesn't scale? So you either buy a SaaS service that does something that creates... Gives it gives you a buffer before you need to do the app update or patches, or maybe we just build systems that are more self-aware and they patch themselves or they update themselves, versus I don't know humans have to go do it because if we're gonna go down this path, this is never gonna end. And so like all those Microsoft Exchange bugs that came out at the beginning of of last year, like Proxy Shell, it only affected on-premises Exchange. Like if you did Exchange in the cloud through Office three sixty five, like you're patched immediately because Microsoft did it for you. Do we not see the world going to that model anyway? Like, stop buying physical appliance or physical software that you install locally. Buy it as you use it. Send it to the cloud. Use the internet as your main line of business. It feels like that's the only realistic direction that any government should take. The question is, how do you do it securely? Well, some government created their own intranet. And they're using that instead of having physical appliances on-prem. I think a lot of them, though, Guy, have not gone to the idea of releasing that control, just, you know, those box huggers per se. So until we get over that mantra, um, and then not only that, but where is that data sitting? Is it sitting in Costa Rica or is it sitting in the U.S. or is it sitting in, you know, the Ukraine somewhere in some data center that's about ready to be shelled? You never know, right? So. These are all for points. We also need to remember that the guys that are getting paid the least is not the <laughs> IT engineer that's sitting at Microsoft. It's the IT engineer that sits in the Costa Rican government. Yeah, that's the guy that's making a dollar an hour. Yeah, to Brian's point. Yeah, for the right price, I'm sure Amazon or Google or or Microsoft will build a, a data center in Costa Rica to house the Costa Rican government's data. Do you think that the reason why stuff is more secure in the cloud is because you don't have physical, like ability of like jumping on that machine and start to poke around like think about on-prem exchange it's like it's like no box is ever secure if you can actually log into yeah. it and do that but you start to look at the cloud it's like it's you get to touch what they let you touch you're not like at root god forbid uh in that environment so i, I think it might be a heck of a lot harder to you know beat up on SaaS based offerings not saying that it isn't right like look it happened to okta happen to anybody but i would think that that attack surface must be minimized i agree with you i think there's multiple companies that try to do that i mean the whole notion of colos has expanded to forget your own data center bring me all your stuff and i'll just host it for you 
But if you ever want to go in there, you need to give me a firstborn child, your mortgage payment, and you got to sign on everything else. Or you can ever go in there. You have to instruct my employees and they'll move cables or switch things or upgrade things for you if you want to touch them. So I agree with you, Brian. I think that's definitely something we're looking at as yet another angle of not just doing SaaS to Chris's point. Maybe it's just colos everywhere because colos are cheap. Well, in that case, then the biggest threat would be the insider threat, right? Which means you got to take mm -hmm. care of our employees. Could be. Rather, they'll be yeah, the ones yeah. leaking the secrets out there. What was that? That what was that? That that, that uh, lady uh, that worked for AWS? It must have been like five years ago. Yeah, Lady Gaga. She had access to the, the, the one. A, yeah, the AWS. She had access to all the S three buckets that were on the back end, right? I think you're thinking of the Capital One. Like she knew the intricacies of it, but she still did a server side request forgery attack. She knew how it worked. She knew that the firewall was misconfigured. And then I think based on her knowledge, like she didn't have any, I would say insider knowledge. She she just knew how it worked and she knew mm. there was a misconfiguration. And she I know both stories. I thought that yeah, I heard I a story similar to what, yeah, I think there's yeah. two stories because I remember somebody in Amazon and I also remember what you were talking about, Chris. So it, it sounds like it's probably two different stories. Yeah. I, I see it going both ways because there was a pretty bad vulnerability in Azure I think came out probably two months ago of how you can use PowerShell and get your root access to the box it was running on. And that's because Azure doesn't let you actively pen test. That's in the agreement that if you sign up for Azure, you're not allowed to actively pen test. Like if you have an on-prem exchange box, you know, fire away at it all you want. But if you're at running Office 365, there's a lot of, you know, trust us security. So, I mean, I see it going both ways. You know, there's a security benefit that exchange of the cloud's always updated. It's always running the latest version. You don't have to worry about patching, but there are some limitations of things like pen testing yeah. I know but, that. but at that point what chris though right the <clears> own <throat> the onus of the liability there goes back to microsoft and not to the corporation itself right true yeah so, they yeah, so you're like, shifting they, the liability, liability. but yeah. it's still unfortunate when your data leaks even if it's not your fault is there any SaaS based offering that allows you to actively pen test i know that we don't i don't think that aws doesn't azure doesn't Salesforce asks you to pay exuberant amount of money and they only let you do it on the beta environment. So I don't know that there is one. Wow. Yeah, there's there are some, you know, us included, there are separate environments that, that can be, you know, with with the with the correct permissions, rules and, and everything, it can be done. But uh testing against prod almost never. Like you'll you'll almost never find that. All right, for our last topic, and it'll be a rotating topic every week, this week we're going to talk about a gadget I never knew existed. I do not believe the three of you know this, but I used to ride motorcycles. After I graduated from college, I got my M1 license. I bought a Kawasaki Ninja motorcycle. Liar, he bought a, mop or a, a moped. A that's, moped. Yeah. That's stuff. <laughs> I can see Chris on a moped. I can't see Chris on a ninja. Wait, is there images of that? I don't yeah. believe you. Is there? Is that real? That is real. Yeah, I'll send you guys a picture. Is Picture didn't happen. Ninja 250? <laughs> or is it a real ninja? What do you mean? Ninja? It was a real ninja. Oh, was it a hurricane? That's what it was. <laughs> well, it was Just it was kidding. perfect for me because I was I was living in the city at the time, so it was, it was good for zipping around the city and parking in tight uh, parking spaces. But I eventually gave it up when I got married and had kids, since I now have obligations and responsibilities to stay alive and and not die. There, there's a joke about driving and maybe your background that we won't get into here. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know where this is going, so I'm going to move on here. There's a company out there that makes a motorcycle vest that contains an airbag in it. So when you were talking earlier about the Apple Watch popping an airbag and falling down, they actually make it for motorcycles. So if you fall or get thrown off the bike, the airbag deploys. And in theory, the airbag should break your fall instead of breaking your neck. The vest costs $400, and you have to pay another $400 to pair it with your smartphone and activate the airbag. For casual riders, they also offer another option, airbag as a service. If you don't want to pay the $400 activation fee up front, you just pay $12 a month subscription fee to use the airbag. So this option is ideal for people who do not ride often but still want that safety mechanism. The problem now comes if a person stops paying that $12 a month subscription fee, the airbag turns off. Now, the company claims that that's by design. It only works if you pay for it, and they will give you a 30-day notice before turning it off for non-payment. But wow, if you're not paying attention to your email and your card gets declined for some reason, you could potentially lose a life-saving feature of the safety vest. So I'm going to surprise you guys right here. I am... 100% on board with this. I'm going to buy it because sometimes I get lonely and I just need a hug. I feel like I just jump down some stairs. The thing gets deployed. It's like a it's nice like warm hug. hug. From, yeah, so it's like a nice warm hug from grandma. I'm down. What's the secret message inside there, hot dad? <laughs> so, you do realize that when these airbags release, a small bomb explodes. <laughs> so much, yeah. I'm not so sure if that's what you want to do, Deech, but hey, you know. <laughs> Each to his own. So I, 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 go, ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, please. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I think it's crazy. So I would totally buy into the $800 worth of whatever because I had a motorcycle accident that killed my snowboarding season and it's never going to happen again. So I owned one. I owned it for about three months. Broke my leg. Awful. I'm not going to repeat the story. And obviously it happened when I turned 40 because that's when all bad things happen. <laughs> and... I would still would have paid $800 for this. I would never have gone with the subscription base because all of you guys are Microsoft users. And how often does it happen that Microsoft can't reach its server and it's unable to authenticate my subscription and you get these pop-up messages because something's blocking it, some firewall AV you have running. And now you can't access Windows and Words. I don't want that with my vest. I'm going to pay. I'm always one and on. So that vest wouldn't have helped your broken leg because it's not a nope. leg cover. Semantics. I rode a motorcycle. I uh, On hot days, hot California days, I don't think I'd ever wear a vest. Um, probably one of those vented back covers. So that it, it, I guess it would also depend on this, the, the style. Um, it, so yeah, I, and you're already paying for something. Like you guy, you're like, you're sitting there going... How much is your life worth? And then, Chris, I've got a question to come back to that, too. Is like, did you sell your bike or did your wife sell wife your bike? Your bike. <laughs> and then I, this... I sold the bike. I actually <laughs> sold it to a very nice woman. She was yeah. a, a teacher that needed it for her commute. Yeah. And, and this reminds Chris me owned totally the girl's of... Chris <laughs> the, the, rem... the girl bought a guy's bike. No, that doesn't and, happen. And the... And this reminds me of the the Tesla auto driving feature, right? Which you could buy for now twelve thousand dollars, or you could uh, do a monthly subscription. I think of two hundred, and yeah, I call that yeah. I call that the inebriated subscription. So two hundred dollars for a one time fee of me not getting caught drunk, drunk for DUI. driving. Yeah, DUI is well worth it. So yeah, 
even paying twelve thousand upfront, like a DUI is, will cost you well more than twelve thousand dollars. True, true. Although the disclaimer is, you're not supposed to drive drunk. Period. You should never get behind a wheel if you're inebriated. You know, Letter drinking of the drives law like, versus the spirit yeah. of the law, Chris. <laughs> drinking driving is like bumper cars. You're missing out on an opportunity. <laughs> Just kidding. That's insensitive. Yeah, don't drink and drive. Yeah, definitely right. don't do it. Get an Uber or a Lyft if you're Chris. HP did a similar thing a while ago. They had a ser- they had Ink as a service where you pay ten dollars a month and you can print all you want and if you stop paying that ten dollars a month the printer just stops working even if there's still ink in the cartridges and you know they caught some flack for that because like oh you're wasting ink and you know i paid for it well no technically you paid for the ability to print and then when you stop paying then the printing stops look if they lowered the cartridge costs i probably would have gone with that i think that cartridge think about it it's almost like planes plane has become worse as the years progress printing cartridge costs has gone up that's a Instead huge of the scam thing, it is i mean i am paying exuberant costs to print stuff it's never all the cartridges that go down they always go down in uneven balance so i need more color versus more black if there's a way that i can pay 10 bucks a month and my printer always works i don't know how you do that i'm game i wish they would figure out a laser way that doesn't require cartridges anymore and I just need to pay a service fee, and it always just works. Yeah, I think the, the printer is internet connected, so it, it phones home when you're low on ink, and then they auto ship you new cartridges. You know what it is? People are just complaining about the rainforest. Like, I can't remember the last time too. I printed anything. Yeah. What are you printing out so much there, Hebrew Hammer? <clears throat> My uh, wife is an architect, so there's a lot. So there's two industries I haven't figured out that there's things that could be done, you know, electronically. One is the car buying industry. You guys still have dot prints. You still need dot prints to be able to do anything in order for that to be processed by the DMV. And the other industry is architecture and building. Building and architecture still requires to see the actual design. Ask Chris. I'm sure he has his share of printed documents around his house for a three wide uh, paper running around. I was trying to think though when I bought my Tesla, I think that was all DocuSign. I don't think I had to physically sign anything. Tesla does it differently. I don't know how they do it, but every I, I other company you go by. Yeah, you, you must own like buy directly from it. Then, you don't buy right? through a dealership. I think that's the yeah. trick. My bad if your wife is uh, printing off architectural documents, unless she's making the Derek Zoolander my mom. school yeah. for kids <laughs> that don't read well. No, we have a wide cartridge, like one of these large, big printers that can actually take in very large documents. And she's got like four of them in her office. But that's what I said. She's got four different printers for four different functions that could all be served by one. If there was a magic way for me to pay for a license and just like, you know what, Chris, I'm okay with that. I'll pay you $10 a month and you'll get my printer to always have ink in the right level. And it would automatically send me when I'm into that. Because having to remember to do it just when you need it, that's awful. By the way, why is it always our fault when the printer's out of ink or paper? Like, that's so, that is sexist. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of this double standard. <laughs> Wi Fi's down. Brian, go fix it. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest guy is up. 
Uh, that is the one thing that I'm so bad at. But okay, I'll 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 do my share of trying to entertain you guys. So, how do they keep a basketball arena cool? How they fill it out with fans? <laughs> Come on, that's, a good one. <laughs> that's worthy. That's a that's good a, one. That's, that's a bad joke. It's kind of okay. Yeah, yeah. Wah, 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 good job. <laughs> Are you a basketball fan, guy? Am I what? Are you a basketball fan? No, dude, I don't. I don't understand anything about sports. I'm a failure in the eyes of my dad. My dad loves <laughs> basketball. I don't know anything about sports. All right. Well, you are a failure. I agree with your dad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you, guy. We all love guy. <laughs> all right. To wrap things up, Israel creates more cybersecurity startups than any other country. Guy doesn't think the NSO group is going to go anywhere, or they're not moving anywhere. A physical hardware switch is needed to truly secure your iPhone. Costa Ricans are encouraged to overthrow their government, but we definitely don't want that to happen. And you have to pay for your motorcycle safety vest, or you might die in a crash. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pepcag Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pepcag Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-hosts, Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, and our guest, the Hebrew hammer, Guy Marone, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next weekend. As always, have a nice day. If you're still listening, don't bake the funk on a nasty dunk. <laughs> <laughs>